Hello, feeble-minded humans, and welcome to Set Podcast to Stun, the podcast where we explore, explain, and enjoy the Star Trek franchise. I'm Clint the Q, joined by Captain Corey and Chancellor Emily. Feeble-minded humans, I am a noble Klingon. Kapla. Kapla. That's right. Clint, I am not a captain. We did talk about this in the episode that we lost that does not exist anymore, but I clearly explained in that one that I am, I have upgraded my rank. I'm now an admiral. That was last episode, so we do have that one. Uh, yeah, I know you claimed that, Corey. I just haven't gotten the official paperwork from Starfleet yet. Oh, I, so... I sent it through the very reliable post office that, that exists on our international planetary system. Yeah, I'm just saying I haven't really gotten any, like, Starfleet official communique that you've been... You know, when Emily went from being a general of the Klingon Empire to being Chancellor, uh, she just dropped a dead Klingon at my feet, and she said, I will bring glory to the Empire! And, you know, for Klingons, that's how, how that works. So, um, it's true. until the paperwork comes through. You have to go through the diplomatic channels. Well, I spent... I spent $85 for a new microphone, so... Uh, is now when we tell our audience how we have a cursed episode? I guess we can talk about that. Yeah, so I don't know if anyone noticed, but we skipped Miri and went to straight to Dagger of the Mind. We tried recording Miri twice. No, yeah. Well, first of all, we did watch it. Second of all... Yes. We recorded it twice, and each of us fucked up once. Yes. Yeah. Clint fucked up the most, though. What? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. I didn't save my recording. Yeah, I think all of us have a private theory about who fucked up most. Let's not finger point. We've already had a huge blowout fight about this. We haven't talked for three weeks <laughs> because of this problem. I've cut off so many heads and thrown them at these guys. Yeah. We'll eventually do a merry episode, but we have to uh, get some distance from it because we've got some bad feelings. But we did love that episode, and we had a lot of fun recording it. Maybe we should all get really drunk and then record it when we're, like, deep in our cups. Yeah, and now that none of us have seen it for probably a month and a half now, we can just fill it with half-truths and our own aspirations about what we wanted the episode to have in it. The problem is, if we get super drunk, then it will increase the chances that we'll fuck up the recordings again. I don't know, maybe not, though, because we were super sober the first couple times, and that didn't help us. She does have a point. <laughs> well, we, we, can, we can talk about it later. Clint, Speaking of Clint. Drinks, hates this idea i can tell you that right now he's like absolutely not how dare you but speaking of drinks uh before we start today's episode i have a, a treat for you so i have some tranya i have some tranya from you both uh and i looked up what tranya is because of course there are recipes for everything they drink in star trek and there is a alcoholic and a non-alcoholic version what do y'all want to hear first Hold on a sec. I You said that you got some Tranya for us. I do not have any. Did you send it in the mail? Because if so, you had the same problem I had. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I guess uh, mild insurrections at the Starfleet capital is not helping anything. What's in Tranya? Okay, so Tranya, apparently there was something three or four years ago called the Star Trek Experience at the Las Vegas Hilton. And they had a restaurant called Corks Bar. And they had some drinks, and one of them was Tranya. 
and Tranya was one ounce coconut rum, one ounce Gross. peach schnapps, a quarter ounce amaretto, two ounces cranberry juice, two ounce pineapple juice. Uh, sounds awful. You float the amaretto on top. Ooh, tropical. Yeah, it'd be super tropical. I think it'd be good. I don't like coconut. Maybe I'll just replace the coconut thing. Well, the non-alcoholic one you could easily spike. That is uh, orange juice, lemon juice, lime juice, honey, and a little bit of water. Oh, not bad. Yeah, you could throw some mezcal in there. That'd be pretty good, actually. Mm Mmm, some fancy tequila. (laughs) I can have it with my (laughs) butterbeer. We'll just drink different nerd drinks from different different franchises i uh i've been making cocktails in covid shutdown for the past almost year now um and so i would happily make a cocktail and report on its success for each episode all right we'll put we'll put you on that emily Uh oh what have i done i regret it (laughs) don't give me more homework (laughs) all right so let's uh jump into the episode the episode is the corbinite maneuver so, Corey, what is going on in this episode? What happened? Oh, boy. Okay, so this one's a real humdinger. I wanted to play our game where we each say the number at the same time, but I already have an idea of where you guys stand on it. I don't think you guys really like this one. Uh, I liked this episode. I don't think no. Clint and I are ever going to be lined up. <laughs> I don't think up. you are either. I, I, I oh, okay. we should play the number game on this one. Let, let me... Yeah, but but introduce the episode and then we'll we'll do the number game. Sure, sure, sure. Here's a real nitty gritty. Okay, I'll say this in I'll say this in just like a couple breaths. So the Enterprise is trying to get somewhere in space. It it can no longer progress because there's this gigantic popcorn ball of alien origin that appears and it won't let the Enterprise go any further. And it turns out to be some sort of a probe. The Enterprise destroys the probe, and then its mama comes looking for the Enterprise. And the, uh, the the alien intelligence on this probe's mothership basically demands that the Enterprise die. And Kirk tries to finagle his way out of out of this 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 execution. They have what ten minutes, fifteen minutes, something like that, to to prepare for their Aww. death. Ten time periods known as Earth minutes. And I wanted I wanted to talk about standard time periods, and that could maybe be the first thing that we talk about because that's that's an interesting idea. <laughs> oh boy. Guess what? That's the episode. <laughs> the, yeah. it's, it's it's that that ten minutes where they're like, Oh, we're about to die. This is a this is us uh, kind of saying goodbye to each other and, and Kurt trying to fight for every second that he can to try and find a way out of the situation. And then there's a big surprise ending, and we'll get to the big surprise ending. But that's the episode. Yeah, this this episode's a lot of hemming and a lot of hawing. Let me tell you guys. Okay, let's talk about tan, tan, like standard minutes and standard seconds. I can understand that if, if an alien's like referencing something for humans, it's like it's a standard Earth year. Like, yeah, for sure, because that's going to be different for every planet. Or a standard month, because that depends on like the rotation or whatever. But I, I have a feeling that like the smallest unit of time being seconds and minutes and hours. Like, I really have a feeling that they would, for the most part, be based in a base 12 system because it's the best system for, because it can, you know, 12 can be divided by 1, 2, 3, 4, and 6. Um, so I just think that that would be a little bit standardized. And it's always it's always really corny and cheesy, and I love it when they use, like, st- st- 10 standard Earth minutes or 10 standard Earth seconds. It's weird that he had to explain it to them, where he said, 10 periods known as... 
earth minutes and like he could just say like 10 earth minutes you know like he didn't have to like explain the concept of time to everyone i think i think this is where we're seeing the beginning of sci-fi where people don't know or aren't as steeped in world building to do this groundwork there's some things that you should explain and develop and incorporate and there's some things that you don't years yes minutes no and this just smacks of early sci-fi where they didn't think that there would be compendiums and fan cults and it feels like a one-off episode instead of an entry into like one of the most popular sci-fi creations of all time yeah this show is definitely not meant to be like watched over and over again and paused and like dissected every second you're just supposed to watch it on tv and then go on with your life you nerd I, I want to talk about the first shot of this episode, which is pretty cool. It's it's a continuous shot where mm-hmm. the camera is up above the the bridge. Did you guys do you guys remember the shot? Yeah, I really liked it. It's up it's up above the bridge, like maybe above mm-hmm. the view screen, I guess, if you want to orient it that way. And it's looking down at the bridge crew. And instead of uh, everyone's just do, going about their business, doing whatever they do on the bridge, instead of like cutting to each person, it just zooms in on them. And then it gets a little grainy because it's 1960s film. And then it zooms out and then it goes to the next person. And it just swivels over to them. It was just like one continuous shot. I thought it was kind of cool. That was cool about the episode. And the thing I liked about this episode is it felt like a good slice of life or what it was like being on the Enterprise. Maybe they were just trying to like fill space. But I really felt like you got a sense of what it was like to be on the ship and move through it. Because there's another scene where Kirk... He starts the episode in the med bay um, or whatever it's called. I forget what it's called. Shirtless. 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 But he's doing a physical. Uh, Okay, hold on. Hold on. Wait, wait. I'm not sure he is doing a physical. No, he is doing a physical. I think that Bones is just watching him work out. Yeah, I wrote my notes say, what is this even supposed to measure? He's doing shirtless sit-ups with his feet up in the air. And Bones is like, come on, keep pushing it. You can do it. And I'm like. What is this measuring? Nothing. It's his physical it's fitness. It's measuring Bones's spot on the Kinsey scale. I highly doubt that the treadmill or the stationary bike would be so obsolete in the future that you would need to lay on your back and do leg pumps with this thing that has, it's a, Elton Brown wouldn't like this. It's a unitasker. It can only do one thing, and that's to pump pump your legs up against the wall of the ship. That was a weird also, device. Also, why is he shirtless? Well, he's got to be. It's in his contract. Clint, I liked the casual combo bits, but, and I hate to sound like a broken record, this was an episode desperately in need of a B-plot. Like, I kept thinking, if this episode had a B-plot, this would have been a fine episode, but because it didn't, it felt like they took... 15 minutes of plot and stretched it over an hour. Now, I might challenge you on that B-plot a little later, Emily, but go ahead, Clint. <laughs> well, uh, Corey does have a point, but and I just want to say real quick, Kirk goes from the med bay to the, you know, the bridge, and you kind of see him move through the ship and walking through and walking through the halls and then getting in the turbo lift. So it's nice to see him move through the ship, and you kind of see the ship being connected. Wait, 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 wait. You you didn't talk about the fact that he did it shirtless, though. Oh, yeah. I'm sure everyone is used to him being just walking around the shirt, the ship shirtless. 
Maybe sometimes he, he's fighting a salt vampire or something like that. So no one bats an eye. They know that's what Kirk's like. So, so yeah, here's the sequence of events. They the, the people on the bridge run into this anomaly, this probe, uh, while Kirk is working out, getting his physical. They get the he gets like the red alert, like come to the bridge. And he leaves and he does not put a shirt on and he just sashays his way through the ship with like his shirt draped. Like he could have put it on. It's just a slip on. Mm-hmm. And it's just this dominance asserting like, scene. Or as Fergie would say, Kirk was up in the gym just working on his fitness. He's my witness. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <sighs> Yeah, I do agree with Emily. I'm not going to say this is the worst episode we've ever watched, but I will say it is the most boring because nothing, I mean, so little (laughs) happens in this episode. And it's just like a lot of talking and them just like wringing their hands and being like, there's a thing in front of us. So uh, I'm not going to say I hate this episode, but I, I I do like what it was going for and I like the stuff in it. It was just... It was way too long, and I just thought it was boring. I was laughing really hard because I agreed with you. That was such a succinct and great way of putting it. Of like, it's not the worst episode, but it was the most boring. And um, I've been thinking about this for uh, for a little bit, but you know the the second season of the Mandalorian just finished up, and I'm not going to talk about spoilers or anything, but that show really benefits from being a tight thirty minutes. Every episode of that is 30 minutes and it just moves so fast and like they really don't waste time in that show. Things happen really quickly and it feels longer than 30 minutes because like everything's just happening so quickly. But yeah, that's I would love to see like almost every episode of this original TOS just like shrunk down to 30 minutes. And I feel like they they'd feel a lot more exciting and fun. So, yeah, the the big sin in this episode, I think, is that it they wrapped up the plot and then they looked at the clock and they're like, Oh shit, we still have 15 minutes because what happens is they'll, they'll negotiate their way out of getting destroyed by this mothership. And then that's not the end of the episode. Like you would think that that's where like the, the, cause that's where the climax is. There's still another 10 or 15 minutes as they're getting towed to a quarantine planet. And then they have to get out of that situation. So they, they go from one conflict to, it getting diffused and then another conflict comes up for the last 15 minutes and it's quite boring so the 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 thing that they blow up that conflict takes way too long because it's obviously a setup for the mama ship as you put it which is then we get this little twist at the end which would have been super great if they hadn't run those 10 minutes down in real time and that was super boring if they had made the characters be like, oh, I got to get right with my God. Oh, if they had if they had made the stakes real, but they did it. And so it was like, we don't need these 10 minutes of their countdown to be 10 minutes of our life. We could have some Hollywood magic around now. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I did like Baylock though. Baylock is the mysterious alien who announces stuff to them the whole time. So he's he says stuff like, you are primitive. You shall be destroyed. I am Baylock, and you cannot defeat me. So I thought that was pretty great, though. I enjoyed Baylock. Of course you did. There was a moment where, so there's this person, Mr. Bailey, who's like this whiny kid on the bridge. Uh, yeah. I have a note at one point that says, I hate Mr. Bailey. Me too. He's poor man's Kirk. I hate, I hate poor man's Kirk. I hate the cube. I hate it all. But there's also a part where... Kirk says, I'll keep that in mind, Mr. Bailey. 
when this becomes a democracy. And I was like, that is Clint with this podcast. <laughs> like every once in a while, we're like, should we vote on it? And Clint's just like, well, we're not going to do that. <laughs> I really like that line too. And I, and I want to set up the Mr. Bailey thing because that is the B plot. Uh, he is a person that we've never seen before, but you know, it's the sort of thing where I don't know if it's a guest star thing or they were, th- they were thinking that he might have a bigger slot on the show because he is in the position that will ultimately be Chekhov's position. And right now mm. we don't have that person on the ship that kind of circulates around. I think it's the person that drives the ship, right? The helmsman. So Mr. Bailey out of nowhere just suddenly gets a lot of um, camera time and a lot of reaction shots. Mm-hmm. He's actually in the conference meeting when all the, the the bridge like head bridge crew are like talking about what they're going to do about this thing. So obviously like that just tells you, oh, he's going to have a really big part in this. And he is the B plot because his story is that he is uh, very cocksure and uh, he kind of does things his own way. And, and Kirk's always trying to reel him in. And then McCoy's always like, you need to be easier on him. You haven't let him sleep for months and i wasn't sure why because and this is the big thing i wanted to set up and what i wanted to ask was was kirk hung over this whole episode because he was being an <laughs> asshole to everybody he was not in good humor yeah uh, he was being a dick to bailey the entire time which made bailey make mistakes and all panicky like kirk was demanding so much out of his crew and it just seemed like apropos of nothing it's not like there's a war going on they just never set it up he he was he laying into yes. Bailey a lot. I also like the line where he uh, Bailey was like phaser crew ready, and then Kirk's like, "Did I say to ready the phaser crew?" And Bailey is like, "No, I just thought." And then Kirk says, "Are you explaining, Mister Bailey? Did I ask for an explanation?" And then Bailey said, uh, "No," and and then it continued from there. But but yeah, he really was laying into Bailey. Were you gonna say something, Emily? I was going to say that I think, Corey, when you said that Kirk was acting hungover, I was like, yes, where is silly, goofy, rakish, charming Kirk that we all love? But also, Clint, when you were discussing just now, it reminded me of something that I've noticed, noticed, I think, more with TNG, but also with TOS, that Star Trek has an uneasy relationship with the military. Like, is Starfleet Mm -hmm. a paramilitary organization or not? And this is another really good example. In the military, you're not going to question orders. You're not going to backtalk. You're not going to think for yourself. You're not going to take initiative until you have the rank to do that. And even then, maybe not. And and that is how a military functions, and that's how it works. And for good or ill is a bigger conversation. But then how does Star Trek do that? Are they a military organization and chain of command is this important? Or are they like a free-thinking university in the sky? I this feels like that tension that they don't know how to write Kirk interacting with other people and subordinates. They don't know how to write that. Yeah, for sure. He, I don't remember the, the circumstances that set it up, but it was like after the probe before the mama ship arrives, Mr. Bailey and like the crew had made a couple of mistakes and they were down to like 87% efficiency and, and, you know, and so Kirk, Kirk's like, you guys need to keep running the simulation until you get to a hundred percent. And he actually, like, goes to McCoy's office, and they, like, have a drink together. Of course they do. And (laughs) while they're there having a drink, they're just listening to the simulation go through as, like, Bailey's trying to run through the scenario again that they just in real life did. But now, you know, it's a simulation, and they're trying to get to 100% efficiency. And Kirk's just sitting there listening to it while he's, like, drinking his whiskey. It's very (laughs) controlling. And again, McCoy's like, why are you 
being so hard on them. And Kirk's like, we need to be ready at all times. We don't know what's going to happen on this ship. And it just seemed like he knew something, like the Borg were coming or whatever, because he was acting like, uh, you know, Jellico, uh, Clint and Emily, if you've seen the the episode of TNG. Oh, yeah, like, he was acting like mm-hmm. that. And it was, it was very interesting. Mm-hmm. My note was bone seduction one. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that scene, and I think there was that part where... Sp- Spock is the one who's running the drills and he reports in is like, we have 90, 94%. And Kirk says, well, run it again until we're at a hundred. And then bones says to him, what are you going to do with that extra 6%? And then, you know, Kirk starts, well, I'm going to take that 6% and I'm going to, and then he gets interrupted, which I'm kind of sad about. I kind of wanted to hear like what, what his speech was going to be. Shove it up your ass. I will say, you know, this has been the first episode where I was not, like, offended by Bones. I feel like in many of the other episodes, my reaction has been, why is Bones such a dick? And this is the first time where he's a sounding board and a character outside of racist jabs at Spock. That's funny that you say that because this this episode... <laughs> Did you yeah, have the opposite reaction? I had the opposite reaction where I'm like, man, Bones is being particularly annoying this episode because there's a point where they're like about to explode in five minutes and Kirk is trying to figure this out and then Bones comes to the bridge and starts hassling Kirk about Bailey. And I'm like, man, we're about... Oh, I forgot about that. That's pretty terrible. You're like, there are more important things on my plate right now. Yeah, and Kirk is like, well, hopefully we'll be able to argue about this later, Bones. Yeah. And let's say why, why, like... Kirk's being so hard on Bailey and it's it's because and I, I it wasn't like a magical influence or any kind of space influence it was because when Bailey when there's this impending 10 minutes until you die threat Bailey just shuts down and he becomes all just agitated and he's like you don't understand we're all gonna die and you're all just sitting here and even before that he was having a hard time focusing and he wasn't doing his job and that's that's chalked off to the fact that Kirk wasn't letting him sleep which is again they never really talk about that well, I think another criticism, sorry to jump in, is also that Bones has, is that he was promoted too quickly. So he was promoted mm-hmm. into a position that he wasn't ready for, and and now Kirk is writing him too hard. Oh, and I wanted to say, the, the I realized that everyone that sat in that seat, so it's to the left of Sulu from the audience's point of view. Mm-hmm. Everyone that sat in that seat has been a complete asshole up to this point. Because... <laughs> Yes, I would love to track that's Mitch, where the, the guy with the, the, the silver with the eyes. eyes. Yeah, yep. yeah, he was there. <laughs> yeah, I. This also makes me wonder. We talked in an earlier episode about doing a body count for Kirk, and I think what we should do is compare the Kirk's kill body count to Kirk's shirtless body <laughs> count and see which one increases the fastest. We'll just call that the body count that matters. <laughs> <laughs> the murder body count and the. Killia body count. The killer body count. Uh-huh. I'm slaying it with these abs, baby. He doesn't have abs. Talking about Bailey's freak out, though, one thing I really liked in this episode was Sulu, though. He was a star, right? He was jumping in to, like, cover great. for Bailey. And one of my favorite parts was when Bailey was freaking out. 
And he's like, what are we doing? Are we just a bunch of tin shoulders? We're going to die. What does he want? Or we only have eight minutes left. And Sue's like, actually, seven minutes, 45 seconds. And then Bailey's like, look, even Sulu started a countdown. What are we doing here? I hated that part. I was like, that is a stupid bit. But I did love Sulu in this. I actually made a note that they were lighting him beautifully. Like his cheekbones looked like they could cut glass. I love his smile. <laughs> I I just, maybe we should have a captain's log that's all why we love George T.K. and Sulu. I know, Sulu. right? I mean, 100%, he's been delightful every time he's on screen. Anytime he says anything, I just eat it up. Just give me more decay. Speaking of delightful... We got a little bit of our best friend Janice. Mm-hmm. She popped in for a little bit, bringing Kirk a dietary salad that he got very upset about. Yeah, McCoy thought that he was putting on the pounds. <laughs> Green leaves? Did you see what she also did to Kirk? Yeah. She was trying to take away his whiskey or whatever. No, no. She uh, yeah. unfurled a napkin and put it on his lap. No, that was on a desk. <laughs> uh, either way, I'm so happy to see her. I thought the salad bit was insane. All of a sudden, he's Ron Swanson. Yeah. Just delightful and weird. There was another great part later on where the ship doesn't have power, and she comes in with a tray of coffee. Like, she has a coffee thing. Oh, yeah. And cups. And she's like, I got coffee. And everyone's like, oh, coffee. Like, we're about to die. I could use a cup of coffee. It's more than that, actually, because there's... That's the 10 minutes until you die, make peace with your God, and everyone's just freaking out. And she comes in at like minute 11, once like, you know, the bluff is called. And she's like, hey, I made coffee the old fashioned way. And it's like, were you spending your last minutes of life making coffee for the bridge crew in case that you guys got out of this? That's what a boss Janice is. I feel like maybe this would have made more sense in the 60s when people would have remembered living through World Mm. War II. And like, maybe we're all going to die tomorrow. Maybe we're going to die in the blitz. Maybe, you know, there are no true civilians in war. I, it definitely felt like there, this whole episode, there was some sort of like cultural subtext that I could not access. Uh, do we want to pivot to talking about Bardock or whatever his name is? Oh, that's from Dragon Ball Z. Hey, Locke. <laughs> I just want to mention one more thing when talking about Janice, but... I liked it because they're like, I think Bone says like, how'd you make coffee? The power's out. And she's like, well, I just used a hand phaser and zap hot coffee. And it's such like a weird, like 60s woman thing to like, you know, know the trick to like making hot coffee when the ship's power is out, you know? It's true. And it's also such a 60s thing that Bones is like, what? I can't figure out kitchen. <laughs> I want her to bring out like uh, the horrible 60s party food that they had. In, like if you've ever looked through a 60s cookbook where everything just looks disgusting. Like like a jello with yeah, hot dogs Yeah, I, I, I was going to say a jello with a broccoli floating in the middle of it. And everything's just green and, and you know, mustard yellow colored. Even the plates. I just want to say though, I'm so disappointed that like Janice doesn't have a bigger role on the show. Because she's been so delightful and, like, so great every time we see her. And I could see if they did a reboot, like, what her kind of role on the show would be. And I think she would be, like, kind of like an advisor or someone that would call Kirk out on his ship. And he would, she would be the person that says when the Emperor has no clothes and Kirk's not wearing clothes. Which uh-huh. she does all the time. She would call him out. That's exactly 
the way to describe her. I one, I want a shirt with her beehive hairdo that just says justice. And two, is this actress still alive? Because we should totally let her know that we love her character so much. I feel like this is a theme, like almost every episode, we're just like, God damn it, this character is the best. Yeah, yeah. Well big big love for for Janice. So do you want to talk about Baylock? I am Baylock. Baylock is very similar to another entity that's in TNG and it's like first season, I think. You know, there's the gif of the the guy, the helmsman, who like grabs like both sides of his head and he just starts shaking his head violently and then he dies. Like it's it's a it's a pretty uh, famous one because it's such a cheesy death. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, isn't he like a, a black guy or something? Yeah, and yeah. it's but it's like it's like really really similar where the the Picard's Enterprise goes to a like finds a planet that they're not supposed to find and this intelligence is gosh it's really similar this intelligence is like you can't be here prepare to die and then there's like a 10 minute scene where Picard just goes around and talks to everybody as they're all like you know because they've been given 10 minutes to come to peace and there's like a like a conversation he has with Data about what like death is and the nature of God and then they finally get out of it. It's ex- this is the exact same thing where Baylock is like, "You destroyed my little probe. It didn't do anything to you." And Kirk, Kirk is like, "Um, well, it was like creating a bunch of radiation, and it was uh, it was coming closer to us, and we didn't know what to do. It, it, it wouldn't leave us alone. We wanted to turn around. It wouldn't let us." And Baylock's like, "Prepare to die." So that is the ten minutes uh, that are a little bit too slow in this episode mm-hmm. when they are all just talking to each other about. Uh, their their impending death and then after and we'll talk about how kirk gets out of that situation it has to do with the title of the episode then balok is like okay well i've determined that i'm not going to kill you but i am going to tow your ship to a planet where you'll be not be a threat to anybody but we'll get to that in a little bit but yeah i just wanted to say with balok if you can like look it up the 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 alien effect, the the makeup effect, the distortion thing that they did was really, really cool. I really liked what Baylock looked like on the view screen. It was actually pretty creepy. Yeah, I did like the the effect for it. It was pretty cool. Oh my god, I hated it. I thought really? it was cheesy. <laughs> I thought it looked fake even for 1960s. I, I hated it. And it was he fake. He does look like that eagle muppet. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yes, he looks... He looks like the stereotypical like green-headed alien and the eagle muppet together and like nothing moves when he's on screen but it's like they put the Wayne World <laughs> filter over him. No, that's a good reminder, Emily. Oh, I, I hated it. What we're watching is the updated like cuz we watch it on Netflix. We're watching the I don't know when they redid all the episodes, but like when we see Baylock's ship, the gigantic popcorn ball, it's it's definitely modern and digital. It is not what it looked like in the 1960s. I actually no. put what it looked like in the 1960s on in our Discord and it is quite different. The name of the ship is the Thessarius. Uh, in the 1960s, they said here it was made out of ping pong balls glued to a plaster of Paris shell. What we see is a very digital, cool-looking version of that. I, yeah, I've tried not to think about the effects too much just because that feels like pot shots from people who don't know anything about effects. And, like, unless I'm going to say, like, here's how they built it in the 60s or here's how they restored it, blah, blah, blah. But, man, I just hated the, the art direction for it. It felt way over the top and cheesy. It took me out. And then later... 
I don't know if this is okay to skip ahead for a summary. We go to Balak's ship and we find out that he is a small child and he's actually quite jolly and he was somehow just testing them. Um, and that was a, it was like a Wizard of Oz man behind the curtain situation. Uh, and then I felt very justified in hating that effect. But it was a practical effect, right? The fake alien was, they didn't replace that for the, the digital revised version, right? I, I don't know. I didn't even think about, maybe they touched it up a little bit, but I, yeah, I hated it. I think that it's, I mean, the way it looked like to me was preserved from the sixties and they just built this puppet and then they put that wavy filter in front of it. But when you see it on screen or on their view screen, I don't think they replace that effect. I think maybe they smartened up the view screen or the wavy effect or whatever. I could see that. But it is, the, the episode ends being very Wizard of Oz, like that this thing that's threatening them is actually quite jolly and helpful. And then he agrees to keep poor man's Kirk on with him as like a study abroad i don't know <laughs> uh, a liaison to humanity liaison thank you <laughs> and that's how the episode ends which would have been a great episode except we have like minutes and minutes where nothing happens and they they build this suspense and then they burn that suspense away by just letting the scene sit way too long uh, clint do you want to set up the whole corbinite thing yeah so the only the thing is is that they're about to be destroyed they can't figure out the, the way out. I, too, like the scene before this. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more about Spock in this episode. Uh, Kirk and Spock are like, what are we going to do? And Spock brings an analogy where he says, well, in chess, you know, when you're beaten, you're beaten. And then Kirk thinks he goes, wait a minute, but maybe this isn't chess. Maybe, maybe this is poker. So he, he bluffs and he tells Baylock that they have a substance on board. I don't think it's a device. He calls it like a substance, Corbinite. Uh And basically he tells Baylock that this substance neutralizes any attack that comes at them and then destroys any attacker. And he says this, and then Baylock kind of changes his mind about destroying the ship. And he says, well, we're going to tow you and then check out this Corbinite thing, and then we'll probably maroon you. Which kind of like, it gives me this vibe or the same feeling um, is I'm a dungeon master, big surprise. But like when you're playing Dungeons and Dragons and like the players that you're DMing, like do something crazy. And then you have to like kind of figure out, like think on your feet to try and like get them to the place you need them to be, you know, to you're like just like thinking on your feet and and making stuff up to try and heard the players in the place that you're you're trying to go so that that was kind of like felt very like that to me i thought that was funny definitely again like it became this bit where kirk's like i'm gonna bluff him and i was like this is an interesting plot device kirk's gonna bluff him but they just took way too long like they explained the bluff too much they did it too long it took too long for the character to react so like when it finally came i was like eh and that wasn't the end of the episode either, because, again, there was then the next part after that tension was resolved where where uh, Balok, you know, didn't call the bluff um, and then sent out another little probe to tow them. 
Mm-hmm. And it was so, a tiny ship. Yeah, it was a tiny little ship that that towed them, as I said, to a quarantine planet so they could take take the humans off the ship and then blow up the ship to test the veracity of what they said. But what I was thinking is like, why wouldn't he just like send a tiny little ship to try and blow it up, you know, like leave the area, see if his tiny ship could blow up the Enterprise and see if they were full of shit or not. Um, but the towing scene was, oh my God, because I thought that the episode was over. I, and it was, it just went on and on and on and on. <laughs> and what they're trying to do is they're trying to move perpendicular because they're getting towed back a tractor beam. And, you know, they're, they're trying to push their engines to move perpendicular to the probe and like weaken its, its tractor beam on them. Um, and they finally do it at the last second. And then they get to meet Baylock because, yeah, as Emily said, it was all a ruse. Like the Q, he was testing humanity. Yeah, exactly. And they go to his ship. They have to duck down to transport over in there. They meet him. Is it just, is it like a regular kid who they put like a bald cap on and it some is, eyebrows? It is, a, it is a famous child actor. It is a famous oh. uh, person. You... Is it? Yeah. I was wondering that yeah. because they also did this thing where his voice was moving, but it was definitely a different voice. Mm-hmm. I thought it might be a little person, but it is a seven-year-old. Ready? Clint Howard. Hey, oh, wow. Shut up. Yep. No. Yep. I, Clint Howard? I could really? see it. I could see it. I can, as soon as you said that, yeah. Oh. Is his teeth that weird, though? Did they do anything weird with his teeth? Because this No. Teeth the guy has big. hard problems with his teeth. Leave him alone. Oh, okay. I mean, I'm sorry. Sorry, if Clint. anyone listening does not know who Clint Howard is, just Google him, and then your reaction will be, oh, that guy. Oh, but before you do that... Ron Howard's brother. The Tranya. Have, have some Tranya. At first, the Tranya. The Tranya, boys. It was funny when they were <laughs> drinking the Tranya because they, um, Baylock offers them Tranya and they're like, should we drink Which is this? A juice. Yeah. They're like, should we drink this? Is it poison? And they wait for, for Baylock to drink it before they drink it. But I was like, Baylock's an alien. Just because he drinks something doesn't mean it's not poisonous to you. He's an alien and he drinks it out of pre poured cups. So, like, you could have poisoned their cups and not his. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That, not smart. I audibly said, I like, while I was watching it, when they turn the corner on Baylock's ship and we see Baylock for the first time just, like, lounging on an ottoman with, like, curtains around him, like, drinking out of a golden goblet. And there's, like, this, it's like a child with dyed long eyebrows that looks, I mean, <laughs> I love Clint Howard. He's a little goofy looking, right? Yeah. But... Like, it was just a very surreal Alice, Alice in Wonderland. I was not expecting it at all. And I like I was like, what the fuck out loud? I've never said that to one of these episodes before. <laughs> it's very strange. I wanted to say while they were getting towed, I also, I really like that the, because they're trying to break away from the tractor, tractor device. So they're, they're really pushing the engines and the ship's really rattling. And they would always cut to the same group of like seven people in the hallway, just getting slammed from one side <laughs> of the hallway to the other. And, you know, it's 1960s effect, so they're not getting slammed. They're just, like, walking over to each, like, side of the hallway, like, shakily to show that the ship is in danger. And I was thinking, like, go sit in a chair. Where are your seatbelts? Why are you standing in this hallway? And I swear, by the time, by the way, I swear, every time they cut to that hallway scene, there was one more person standing in the hallway. Yeah, my partner watched this episode with me, and he said, why do these people keep doing this? <laughs> I, I actually, like, in... Talking to y'all, I've come to appreciate this episode more. But by the time we got to the Baylock reveal, I was so just like, oh, sure. 
I don't even give a shit. Like, I had lost all investment in this episode. You checked out. Mm-hmm. It was not a badly written. I feel like this is one where the episode was organized, the plot was good, but there was just not enough to fill the time mm. slot. And it ended up dragging. Not through writing. I feel like before, it dragged through bad writing, bad pacing. This every scene took too much time. And and there's some other stuff we haven't really talked about, like how um, Kirk dismisses Mr. Bailey after his freak out. And then like Mr. Bailey comes back and he's like, can I join the bridge again? You know, I've learned my lesson. Mm-hmm. Like there's a bunch of other stuff that goes on to kind of fill out the script a little bit more. But yeah, for sure. Valid criticism. It's it's I, I thought maybe when I wrote tight script, like the parts of it that weren't filler were could have been a potentially cool 30 minute episode it was logical our antagonist had a motivation the the characters followed through on what they said they were going to do there weren't these threads that got put in and then dropped it just yeah so hopefully we can get a marriage of the excitement of the earlier episodes and the pace of the earlier episodes with the logic and consistency of this one one thing i did also like about this episode was spock and you kind of see what kind of Spock's status on the sh- on the ship is because at the beginning of the episode, Mister Bailey is kind of like, oh, we're just doing these star charts. That's what they're doing at the beginning of the episode is they're making star charts as a place they've ever been. He's like, you've been doing this for three days, Spock. Hasn't anyone done this before? And Spock's like, no. And then I forget. Bailey is like, I think he like kind of freaks out a bit. He or he kind of yells. He's like, oh my god, there's a ship. And then Spock is like, hey, you don't have to yell. You don't have to get emotional. And then later on, Bailey's like, oh, it's just a little adrenaline. You know, humans have adrenaline glands. And then Spock says, oh, it sounds inconvenient. And then he walks away. And then Su- Sulu laughs at Mr. Bailey. And he's like, oh, <laughs> you know, if you, uh, if you cross brains with Spock, you're going to get cut to pieces. And then, you know, laughs at Bailey. I, it's, a, it's a good way to see, like, one, you know, how Spock is smarter than everyone. But then it, it also kind of shows you, like, how Kirk is smarter than, or is, like, I guess smarter. I don't know what to say. Like, more creative than Spock. Because, you know, Spock can't figure out the way to, like, beat this guy. And then Kirk thinks of, like, oh, I'm going to bluff him and that sort of thing. I feel like Kirk and Spock are sort of, like, the teenage drama equivalent of, like, book smarts versus street smarts. Mm -hmm. Spock is your, like, classical, intelligent, quote-unquote, literary smarts. And Kirk is like, well, here's how you win a fight, pal. Mm -hmm. And there is this great scene where Kirk and Spock are trying to figure out on this course of action and Kirk is asking for Spock's advice and Spock is giving it to him. And then Kirk's like, well, I'm going to do this other thing. <laughs> Spock is giving it to him. <laughs> <laughs> but Spock is like, Captain, do you see there's a certain inefficiency to asking advice of me after you've already made a decision? And then Kirk is like, well, it gives me a sense of emotional security and then Spock kind of gives him like a smirk and he's just like thinking like, oh man, you smart ass. So I think it shows too that like <laughs> Kirk is always going to get one up on Spock, right? Like Spock can always like if any other member of the crew like comes at him with some sort of like argument or like trying to make fun of him, Spock's always going to like rip him to pieces and always going to have something funny, not funny, but like something to say that's clever in response to that. But then 
on the other side, Kirk is always going to one-up uh, Spock as well. So I thought that was a, a good kind of funny moment and a good you know exchange of their, their personalities during the show. I wanted to talk about that when uh, Janice brings them coffee, uh, none of the coffee mugs or cups have lids on them. <laughs> and this is on the bridge of a starship. <laughs> And that bothered me. This is like our old thing about why aren't there uh, seatbelts on any of them? Yeah, and why don't they carry keys or stuff as well? Wait, did I say our our whole thing? I think I meant this is Clint's whole thing. And that's before they try and shear away from the ship, right? So there is coffee spilled all over that bridge. Oh, yeah. If those people in the corridor are getting knocked around like uh, egg making mayonnaise, then yeah. There's just one person going, ah, this hot coffee, I spilled it all over myself. We haven't talked about this on this episode before, or on this podcast before, but uh, Emily and I are from the same town, like the same tiny little town in Nevada from Elko. <laughs> and I just realized the thing that I said sounds like a countryism, like knocked around like an egg making mayonnaise. <laughs> and, uh, and then, I loved it. <laughs> but I wanted it to be like, remember we say that back in Elko? That's like our thing that we say. <laughs> I'm I'm hotter than a wolf on a hill in at midnight. That doesn't make sense, but you know we should start just sprinkling in these horrible countryisms, these, these aphorisms. I always preface things like that with, as my mother would say, because she's full of sayings like that. As my mother would say, like when it's hot, she's sweating like a whore in church, or uh, if she has to go to the bathroom, she has to piss so bad her back teeth are floating. So yeah, there's there's plenty of those. <laughs> I, yeah, I did like at the end, too. Oh, do we have to? Um, when Baylock is talking to them, and they've kind of discovered everything. It was hilarious, too, when Baylock is like, oh, a cultural exchange. Would you leave someone on my ship? And then Kirk is just like, get ba- or get Mr. Bailey the fuck off my ship. And I like how they joke about how he's going to get a better officer, which is funny. But um, yeah, Baylock says to Kirk, ah, Kirk. We're both very similar. We're both very proud of our ship. And I don't know if Wink. if our listeners know this, but we have a writing joke that Kirk is sexually attracted to his ship, but he'll never act on it. <laughs> so I think that was Balak admitting that he likes to have sex with his ship as well. I can imagine afterwards that Balak is like, oh, do you want to swap ships? And then Kirk is like, absolutely not. The Enterprise is a lady. How dare yeah. you? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, Balak is suggesting an old-fashioned key party, and Kirk is like, she would never. She must stay pure. She's she's Starfleet's finest. And those curves. There's so many nights where I've been tempted. I'm a very attractive yeoman, but I don't even look at her because of my ship. <laughs> you think I will exchange her for your ship, this tawdry deal? No, sir. All right. Well, anything else that you uh, you guys want to talk about? No, I think that was it. It was it was fine. It was it was good. I'm gonna. I was gonna say four earlier. Now I think after we've talked about it, I think it's a three. Yeah, I. Um, but I enjoyed watching it when I did watch it. I'd give it a two. Like I said, I didn't. I didn't hate everything in the episode. I just and I liked the ideas in the episode and the things that happened. I just thought it was boring. I started with barely a three. Like, I did not like this episode. And then it went up and down, but I'm going to end on a three as well. Cool. All right. Well, uh, it seems like we've talked this episode to death. And then some. So until we see you guys next time, keep on trekking.